grab your Bibles. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We're doing a systematic study through this book. And I'm just going to keep saying stuff until everybody sits down and stops talking. I mean, there's more of you, but I have a microphone. So, all right, cool. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're, we're working our way through this thing, as you're kind of getting ready with that, um, let me just let me just bring something to your attention for your consideration. Um, if you are now or in the past, or if you have friends who are going through some trials, their your life is characterized by a steady flow of stress and anxiety and drama and worry, or maybe greatest of all, fear. Um, I, I think, I think I might know what your problem really is. And, and what your problem probably really is, is that you're just not trusting what God has already said to you. I mean, it is possible that you don't know what God said to you, which if you've been a part of this church, well, then the fault lies with you because you haven't taken the time to learn what it is, but we have a program. We call it discipleship. We can help you if you don't know and you'd like to know. But assuming you've spent some time in church, assuming you've spent some time in God's Word, assuming you have a fair idea of what God has to say in His Word, well then, not trusting what He says to apply to your life, well, that's really all you need to know. You, when you do that, well, if you don't know and believe and apply God's word to your life, well, you can expect to have trouble and stress and worry and anxiety and fear and all those things. So today what we're going to spend some time talking about is actually a very simple concept, but it's quite profound. In fact, it's fundamental to our entire lives. I've given this message the title, What Does It Mean to Walk by Faith? What does it mean to walk by faith? And it does sound like a simple concept. In fact, it is a simple concept. But it's so simple that sometimes it's easy to ignore. We trust in ourselves rather than in God, and soon enough we find ourselves having problems, and then we wonder why. But, you know, it is the simplest concepts that are the ones that we need to master, right? So many of us are sports fans, and we like watching football or basketball or whatever your favorite sport is. And those guys are professionals because they have mastered the fundamentals. They do drills over and over and over so that the fundamentals of whatever their thing is that they're doing becomes reflex to them. What we're talking about today in walking by faith is a fundamental to your Christian life. You need to so practice this that it becomes reflex to you. But sometimes we get so familiar with things like it, well, we forget to apply it. And when we forget to apply it, well, then we have consequences in our life. I know this, that whenever I'm having trouble in my life, it's usually because I have just forgotten to apply some of the simple things that are true from the Scriptures. I mean, we all like studying the Bible deep. We like learning new things, interesting things, things we've never heard before, 
you know, we think that's the way to go to spiritual growth. But spiritual growth really comes from just applying the simple foundational truths of the Bible. And that really is what we're going to look at today. I actually was going to take a greater portion of Scripture in this chapter for this week. But when I got to verse number 7, as we'll see as we read here in a second, I, I just realized we have to camp here a little bit. We have to spend some time talking about this here today. So with that in mind, I'm going to start in verse number 5, and we're just going to go to verse number 8 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're wondering about the first four verses, well, that was last week, so you can go online and listen to that. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Very short, very to the point, but we're going to spend some time just kind of drilling down and seeing what that really means to our hearts and lives. And so, that's why we need to take a second and just pray. Let's all ask God to make it real to us today, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we come before this section of Scripture, four little verses, very simple, easy to understand. We can read, we can understand, we can, we can fully comprehend what you're saying. But Lord, what we need is supernatural guidance to really know, for that, for that light to go on, for that switch to be flipped, and for us to really get it. What does it mean to actually do it? Every minute of every day of our lives until that day that you call us home. Lord, as we study this section of Scripture, give us understanding. May your Spirit be our teacher and may we fully grasp the specific areas where we are blowing it so that we can turn from that and just trust you. That really is the key fundamental of our life in Christ. Thank you for that, and I pray that you just help us and guide us in Christ's name, pray. Amen. All right, we're going to break this into three little sections. The first couple will go fairly quickly. The first one is God's promise, and that's verse number five. And it starts off, it says, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Now this obviously is a continuation of the first four verses that we looked at last week. And that reference where it says, He that hath wrought, us, wrought us for the self-same thing is obviously referring to something previously referred to in the first four verses. Actually, I believe it's directly referring to the last thing mentioned in verse number four, which it says that mortality might be swallowed up of life. In other words, God hath wrought us. God hath made us new so that we can spend eternity with him. So that mortality, death, will be swallowed up of life. This is the setup. This is where the Lord is beginning this conversation in this section of Scripture. He, God, that has made us new for the very fact of spending eternity together with Him, that death will be no more, and we will only have eternal life with Him, goes on and says, who also 
hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. So, he did this, right? He guarantees, this is what he says, the first couple of verses, if you glance back up in chapter 5, say, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, talking about our physical bodies, were dissolved, right? We know we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he goes on and he says, for in this tabernacle, right, we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. We are in this body now, but our, it, our, our eternity is secure. We have eternal security that once saved, always saved. I mean, if you're born again, you're in God's family. You couldn't lose it if you wanted to. He's intended for mortality to be swallowed up in life. He, he guarantees you all of these blessed promises, but... Because we're still in this tabernacle, because we still have tears and pain and suffering and affliction, we haven't fully realized the promise. We're talking about God's promise. We haven't fully realized it. And being human as we are, being mortal as we are, from time to time we doubt. And the devil wants you to doubt that you're truly saved. So God takes this time to remind us of something that will help us, something that will help us to be able to continue on. And it's a promise. He's given something else to us to guarantee our eternal home with Him. And that thing that He has given to us is called the earnest of the Spirit. Now, an earnest, that word, literally means a non-refundable down payment. Think about buying a house. You're ready to buy a house. You cut a deal with somebody, and you give an earnest payment. If you don't follow through on the purchase, you don't get that money back. And usually the buyer or the seller, excuse me, wants you to give a significant earnest payment so that it really is going to hurt if you back out of this deal, Right? Well, this is what the Lord has done for you, Christian. When you receive Jesus as your Lord, He promises all these things for eternity. But He's also, just so that you can't forget, just so you'll be reminded and not doubt, He's given you a non-refundable down payment. The Holy Spirit of God to live inside of your body. He is the earnest payment that He has given to you. Right? The earnest payment guarantees the sale. The earnest payment, if you will, seals the deal, right? So that's how it's referred to. This phrase is used two other times. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who hath also sealed us. He sealed the deal. How? And given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Ephesians chapter 1, the same thing, 13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. All I really need for you to understand today concerning this situation is this that I put in your notes. Walking by faith always starts with God's promises. Walking by faith always starts 
with God giving you a promise. God says something, right? That's how he begins. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and how did you do that? Well, you did that by faith. At that instant, he saved your soul, but not yet your body. The entirety of the transaction is not fully complete. You're saying I'm not fully saved? No, I'm saying you're fully saved, but you are a tripart being. And while your soul is completely regenerated and, and cut away with a spiritual circumcision not made with hands, at the same time yet, the minute after you got saved, you look in the mirror, you look the same. You're still stuck inside this body as long as we are in this physical existence. But that is still coming. We are going to get a new body. Hallelujah. So it's not fully realized yet. It's yet future. For now, we're still stuck down here. But just to let you know that he's going to make good on his promise, that he's going to complete the entirety of the transaction, I mean, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 talks about our body and our soul and our spirit being preserved blameless. Right? He's got to finish the job for all three parts. Right? So just to guarantee that he will make good on that, he gave you an earnest payment. He gave you the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like an engagement ring. You ask a woman to marry you, she says yes, you give her a ring. That ring is a promise. People argue whether or not if you break the engagement, did you give the ring back? Heck no, you don't give the ring back. You never give the ring back. That's stupid. That was his promise to you. He shouldn't have given up on it. Right? Now she ditches him. I don't know. Okay, whatever. But that gift of the Holy Spirit, listen... It's a non-refundable down payment. You know what that means? If you were capable of doing anything, of turning in your salvation, walking away from God and not going to heaven, um, and you went to hell, you, I, I want to go to hell. So let's say somebody's dumb enough to say that. Well, the Holy Spirit has to go with you because he's a non-refundable down payment. That's why you're eternally secure. Guess who's not going to hell? The Holy Spirit of God. He's the earnest payment. That's who he is. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, your complete and full being, including your body. In other words, that is your bodily redemption. That's why Paul can say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you by saving your soul will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is the rapture of the church and the judgment seat of Christ, which is the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll get into it next week, the judgment seat of Christ. So very simply, starting this outline today, God says something. He makes promises of things that he will do. That's important. Just need to keep that in mind while we move on to the next point. So the next point is God's presence. This we're going to see in verses 6 and 8. We're going to skip over verse 7 for a second. Verses 6 and 8. Why are you skipping over verse 7? Well, verse 7, if you glance at your Bible, is written in parentheses. 
That means that you could remove the parentheses and you could read verse 6 directly into verse 8. Let's read it that way. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Okay? So these verses set up a now versus then scenario, right? Now we're at home in the body and we're absent from the Lord. Then we'll be absent from the body and we'll be home with the Lord. We'll be present with the Lord, right? So this is literally speaking of our physical location, right? Our, it's just physically. Physically, while we are yet down here on this planet, in this body, we are physically and bodily absent from the Lord in heaven. That's obvious. Now, you know, for those of you Bible whizzes, I know. You know that I know, and I know that a lot of you already know. Spiritually speaking, that's not the case. Spiritually speaking, the Lord is in us, and we are in Him, and we are seated with Him in heavenly places, in Christ, at the right hand of the throne of God. All of that is true spiritually only. So the context of 2 Corinthians 5 is clearly physically only. It's talking about where we are now versus where we will be then. Where we will be then will be physically in God's presence. And they're set kind of opposed to one another, right? You can't be in two places at once. You're either here or you are there. You have to be absent from one of them to be present in the other one of them, right? Why is that? Why do you have to be absent from one to be present in the other? Well, because this tabernacle, verse number one, right, houses, yeah, our flesh. And the flesh, the book of Romans says, man, in my flesh there's no good thing. And God says through the Apostle John in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You see, you can't be in heaven bodily while you're in this tabernacle that houses this flesh which has your sin nature. Can't happen. So it's either here or there. It's either now or it's then. And that's important. So we know that we're currently physically distant from the Lord. We also know that it's only temporary. We know that we're eternally secure, and we'll get there eventually. In fact, we're so sure of it that Paul says in verse number 8, I'm willing rather to leave this body and go be with the Lord. Paul says, man, I mean, he's so, think about this, because this is where we're really going to land today, so sure that what God said is true. He's like, punch my ticket right now. I, I, I'm ready. I, I mean, this is a big deal. Last week we saw this, I want to just reference it again, Philippians 1, 21, 23, where Paul says this, for to me, to live is Christ. Oh, but to die, that, that's even better. That's gain. See, we don't view it that way, do we? Uh, our loved ones that have known Christ, 
pass away, and we mourn their loss because we miss them. I get that. But for them, man, it, it's gain. Like, if I live long enough that the Lord doesn't come back and my physical life passes away, I want my funeral, I'll mark this down, I want my funeral to be a, a, a rejoicing time. Let's, let's sing and dance and praise the Lord. I mean, not that many people are going to miss me anyway, but I'm going to be having a good time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm down. So, listen, he says in Philippians 1, 21, 23, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two. Notice, I having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Why? Because it's far better. And you're like, well, how do you know? How do you know it's far better? Well, it's interesting. I think Paul had that confidence because I believe Paul actually experienced death and came back again. You know, at the end of his first missionary journey, we read something interesting. In Acts chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, it says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, I get it. It says, supposing that he'd been dead. Well, he obviously wasn't dead. He got back up again. Oh, really? Well, those people who were present at that time may not have been sure if Paul really died, although they were quite adept at knowing how to kill people by stoning. Nevertheless, Paul, speaking of himself in the third person, refers to, in my opinion, this very event from Acts 14, 19. When we read in 2 Corinthians 12, we'll study it in more detail when we get there, 2 Corinthians 12, first four verses. Notice what Paul says. It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ. He's speaking of himself. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Now check this out. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. In other words, I was in such a state that I didn't really understand. Am I, is it me? Is it not me? Is it, am I in this body? I mean, because there is a soul body. We talked about that, that tabernacle, that house from God we talked about last week. When am I in the body? I'm out of the body? I don't know. Such an one, that guy, caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. That's Acts 14, 19. That's what happened to Paul at that instant when they literally killed him. They stoned him to death. He was dead. He went up into the third heaven. He saw and he experienced some things. There's some things he can't tell us about. Well, then there's verse 20. In verse 20, the Lord's like, I still got work for you. So, sends him back down, he inhabits the body, he rises back up, and he goes on with his mission. To be our apostle, to be our example. And if you want a good Bible study, you go through the book of Acts, and you study the history and the story of Paul's life from that point forward. The way that that guy carried on his life and his ministry was with blatant disregard for his own personal safety. 
He did not care anymore. In fact, he dared death over and over and over again. Is that what you should do? Well, you decide. But Paul was confident, and he was sure, and he was willing. He's like, look, whatever that thing is, if I can just go for it like crazy for the Lord and they kill me, right on, man. I mean, yeah, I kind of want out anyway. But the Lord has me down here, so, I mean, I'm just going to set the woods on fire and just see what happens. And that's how he lived his life, like he had a death wish. That's why he could write Philippians 1, 21 to 23. So, keeping with the context today in your notes, walking by faith always ends with God's presence. Right? It begins with his promises, but it ends with his presence. Now, this is very interesting because it's similar to what we studied a year or so ago when we studied 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, at the end of that chapter, it talks a lot about charity or love, you know. It makes some comparisons from now and then, now versus then. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as also I am known. So Paul compares the now here to the then. Okay, see through a glass darkly. Then, man, face to face. Now I know some stuff, but then I'm going to know everything. Right? And here's the key. The event that triggers the then. When does then kick in? Is found in verse number 10 of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Then is triggered by when, when that which is perfect has come. Now, this is a whole other Bible study. Go back and listen to it in the archives if you want to. But when we studied this, I taught you that the perfect thing, when that which is perfect has come, the perfect thing is defined as the revelation of the Word of God. Now, there's a twofold application to that because there's the small w Word of God, the Scriptures, and there's the capital W Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And both are valid for different applications. So, for example, the bodily revelation of Jesus Christ, the capital W Word of God, is the only thing that will make our salvation experience fully, physically realized. Amen? Because we don't get the redemption of our bodies, the purchased possession, until we leave this planet. So there has to be that application, right? So in that context, the perfect thing is referring to the perfect day that's described in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18, right? That's being absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's the then. But on the other hand, there's also the completion of the Scriptures, the written revelation of the small w word of God that gives us everything we need to function here and now. And we saw that application when we studied 1 Corinthians 13. That, my friends is where we get into walking by faith and not by sight. That's why both applications have to be right. That's why I'm convinced that that's the right interpretation of what the perfect thing is. 
So with that, let's get into our third point. Let's hang out here for a little bit. Number three, God's process. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I mentioned it before. Verse 7 is written in parentheses. That means that it's the further commentary on the verses that surround it. God is saying something with continuity. He breaks for a second to give you some commentary. And then he continues saying what he was saying, right? So in other words, what are we supposed to be doing, as the verse says, whilst, while we are at home in the body and absent from the Lord? While we're still here, what is it exactly that we're supposed to be doing? Well, we're to walk by faith, not by sight. That's what we're supposed to do. So here's this in your notes. Walking by faith is the process by which we get from God's promises to God's literal physical presence. It makes perfect sense. God begins by just declaring truth. We walk by faith according to that truth as long as we're on this pilgrim's progress. And then eventually we go to be with the Lord and there's no more need for faith because now we're living in a, in a, in a kingdom of sight. There's no need for that in the millennium. So, verse number 7 is, is one of the two key Bible verses to define for you what faith really is. It's the opposite of sight. It's stated similarly in Hebrews 11 and verse number 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. These are the classic Bible definitions for faith. If you can see it, it's not faith. Think about that. If you can see it, it's not faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. If you're walking by sight, you're not walking by faith. So Hebrews 11.1 1 refers to some terms. It uses the term substance. It uses the term evidence. Well, usually we think of substance, evidence, as something tangible. Something you could see, feel, and touch. Right? I mean, usually we think about that. So in this world, right, walking with God, He wants you to do it by faith, not by sight. In other words, in other words, your faith in what God says has to become so real to you that it's more real to you than the things that you can see and touch. That's what he's talking about. Believing what God said becomes so real to you, it literally drives your decision-making process. And if it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be sin, I guess, but, well, it's not faith. I know that. It's not faith. And you know what? Last week and the week before that when we were finishing up chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, so if we look at 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, while we look not at the things which are seen, we're not, even, we're not even wasting our time looking at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We have to train ourselves to see things that can't be seen. How do you do that? You do that by faith. That's how you do that. Well, it's a blind faith. Well, if that's what you want to call it, but my Bible says actually it has substance and it has evidence. 
I don't know if that's blind. It's just not physically tangible necessarily, right? But faith can never be just faith alone. Faith in faith, which a lot of people have. Well, I have a lot of faith. That used to be an expression we used, uh, people would say in Albania, whether, you know, oh, I believe a lot. You believe a lot of what? <laughs> it, who cares? I mean, everybody has faith in something. It's not the fact that you have faith, right? You have to know, and this is letter A, the source of faith. So first and foremost, we're going to look at the source of faith, and that's Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, right? So the Word of God ultimately, that's why we began with God's promises, right? Which then leads us through this process of believing Him until the time that we literally stand in His presence. Faith is believing what God says. Um, no matter what it says, no matter how crazy it seems to you, no matter how much it goes against political correctness, no matter how much it goes against what you think or wish it to be, uh, the Word of God stands as fact and truth no matter what you think. You don't have to believe it. It doesn't matter to God if you do or you don't in the context of making it true. You don't make truth true. Truth is truth. It just does, it's just good for you if you believe it. So it is what it is, and that's what we need to understand. Faith is believing that what God says, regardless of what it is, is so real that it's more real than our physical reality around us. Now, that's tricky. That's tricky any time in life. It's particularly tricky in some of the challenges we faced in 2020. But if you can do it, if you can do it, and by the way, you can do it, it provides actual substance and evidence for your life. So we have a diagram in your notes, and uh, I think it'll be on the screen. It's a cute little train diagram, and the blank for you is fact. Okay, so the fact of God's Word is the engine. The engine drives the train. Uh, the second car in old-time trains, this would be like a coal-fired engine, would be the coal car. So you've got to shovel the coal. The guys used to have to shovel coal into the burner, right, into the furnace to create steam to cause the turbines to turn and turn the turn the wheels and all that kind of stuff. And then the caboose at the end is, well, those are your feelings. Uh, feelings are, you know, whatever they are. You, don't, you can run the train with or without the caboose. and don't really care. Uh, but you got to have the engine and you got to have fuel. And if you don't have those two things, nobody's moving. And that's why this diagram is so good, you see, because when you consider it, the facts are the things recorded in the Bible. That's John 17, 17. Right? Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. No matter what you think about it. That's what it is. Faith is believing what God said in the facts of the Bible. That's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the feelings are just the satisfaction you get from obeying the Lord. That's what they are. Feelings, some of y'all really need to maybe hear nothing else today but this. Feelings don't drive the train. Feelings follow faith. Feelings follow faith. Too many Christians are out there saying, well, I'm just not feeling it. Well, who cares? Or other people will say, well, I did what God said, but I don't feel it. Well, it doesn't matter. 
Maybe you got a lot of feelings and maybe you don't have, maybe you're kind of feeling dead. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The facts are all that matter. And when you exercise your faith in the facts, that train's moving. It's moving. And that's your Christian life. The train runs just fine even if you don't have feelings, by the way. You're one of those, you know, cold, hard, dead-souled people like me. You'll be all right. You don't need a caboose. A little less caboose might not hurt. Just saying. But faith accepts whatever God says is true. And it acts. It makes decisions. It behaves based on what's written. Oh, and let me say, based on what's written, especially when what is written runs contrary to what you can see. You see, your faith is actually never really tested. If God says do this and that, and you look around and you're like, yeah, that's kind of what everybody's doing anyway, so I guess I'll do it too. Okay, you're obedient, but it's not really faith because you're kind of seeing it happen. But when everything around you seems like it's contrary, fill in the blank 2020, and God's word says this is what's really going on, and you make conscious decisions based on what God says, not based on what the government will threaten you with if you don't or whatever. Well, that's walking by faith. That's walking by faith. There used to be an old bumper sticker people used to have on their car. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. You ever seen those? Well, there's something to that, right? I mean, how do I, doofus Jeff, how do I know life begins in the womb? Well, because God said so. That's how I know it. Uh, how do I know that alternate sexual lifestyles are wrong? Well, because God said so. That's how I know. How do I know that God created the heavens and the earth? Well, because he said so. That's how I know. I know by faith. And that's what Hebrews 11.3 says. Through faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God. Through faith we understand that. You weren't there when it happened. Right? Let me, let, me just, let me just make it simple for you. How do you know anything about God? Because he told you. I mean, if he didn't tell you, friend, we would be clueless. If he never communicated with us, golf ball and high weeds, nothing. <laughs> you say, well, what about the general revelation? There's nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Okay. What about conscience? Romans chapter 2. What about those general revelations of God? Okay, that's fine. That's true. Uh, that's only enough to show you that God exists. It's not enough to get you saved. In fact, if all you've got is nature and conscience, you know what? You're going to be a Hindu. You're going to be a pantheist. You're going to be somebody who's just going to say, God is in everything. God is in the trees. God is in the wind. God is in the grass. God is in the cockroach. God is in everything. And that's what you're going to think. Let me ask you something. How did you get saved? You say, by confessing my sins and receiving Christ as my Savior. Okay, great. How did you know to do that? 
Well, because the Bible told me so. Romans 10.9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's how you know it, because he told you. You see, without the scriptures, you can't get saved. That's what 1 Peter 1.23 says, you're being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. If you don't have the word of God working in the thing, you're not saved. You're not. But, just because there is the Word of God, it, listen, the Lord's a gentleman. He doesn't impose his, this salvation on us. You have to receive it personally for yourself, right? A lot of people believe that Jesus is. The devils believe and tremble. But you have to receive it personally. That's James 1.21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, without God's word, you couldn't possibly know what to do or how to live. You don't have a clue. You say, well, then why are so many people still yet unsaved? Well, like in Romans 10.16, they've not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah saith, the Lord, who hath believed our report? That's the beginning of Isaiah 53. Who believed our, people who won't believe his report, people that won't exercise faith in the promises of God, well, they're not saved. I don't care how much they go to church. They're not saved. Okay, well, you're saved. How should you then live out the rest of your Christian life? By faith, the same way you got saved. That's Colossians 2.6. Notice Colossians 2.6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Through faith. Through faith, right? That's Ephesians 2.8. Yeah, it's by the grace of God that he offered it to you, but it's by your faith that you received it. Listen, Christianity 101 today. Super simple, right? But we walk by sight. We walk by sight. Okay, it goes a little bit deeper than that. Let me break it down for you. Walking by faith is equivalent to walking in God's Word. That's what we are just talking about. Which is equivalent to walking in the Spirit, by the way. You can't separate God's Word with God, from God's Spirit and from our faith. You can't do it. Because Galatians 5.22, faith is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the working of the Spirit in you. 2 Timothy 3.16, right? The Word of God was given by the Spirit of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration, spire, spirit. It comes from the Spirit of God. He is the divine author. That's how he gave it to us, right? That's 2 Peter 1.21. Holy men of God were, they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God gives the Word of God in which you place your faith. Because it's the source of faith. Being filled with the Spirit... Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, right? We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. 
And if we do that, there'll be some consequences in our life, right? The consequences that'll come, where it's speaking to yourselves, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Well, you take the parallel of that in Colossians 3.16, and we have the same exact consequences that come from letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish each other, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So we can conclude that being filled with the Spirit is the same thing as letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. You can't divide out walking by faith and walking in the word and walking in the Spirit. They are the same. They're synonymous. That's what they are. That's the source. That's why it's so important. Okay, let's move on. Letter B, your statement of faith. Let me tell you something. Whenever you walk by faith, you make a statement. You make a statement to God. And it's a statement you're going to want to make. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Listen, don't you realize that that's why we were created? We were created for the sole purpose to please God. That's Revelation 4:11. Snapshot in heaven. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You're designed to be a God-pleaser. That's who you are supposed to be. And, and listen, y'all, after all He's done for you, don't you want to do that? Don't you want to please the Lord with your life? Can we go back to what I was saying earlier? How do you even know what he's done for you? Well, because he told you. He told you what he's done for you. He recorded it in his word for you. I mean, seriously, I, I just try and think of things in a very basic way sometimes. and just, just think of this. I mean, if it weren't for the promises of God's word, I mean, what, what really changed for you in your life anyway? I mean, you look the same. You adopted a new philosophy of life. That's what the atheists will tell you. Your unbelieving family members that hate God will tell you. Oh, you've just, he just became a Jesus freak. He just adopted a new philosophy of life. I mean, have you actually seen anything yet? No, you haven't actually seen it yet because it hasn't become sight yet. How do you know all this Christianity stuff isn't just a scam? Well, by faith. That's how. By faith. Because your faith in what God said provides ample evidence for you and substance to understand what God has actually done for you. You do that when you walk by faith. When you walk in the Spirit. Not in the flesh. That's Romans 8.8. 8. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? Faith pleases God. Flesh doesn't please God. You believe it even though you've never seen it. That's Jesus, right? Talking to Thomas, John 20, 29. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. You know, doubting Thomas, let me see the holes. And Oh, okay, oh, I've seen it now. Seeing is believing, not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. See, the only thing that really pleases the Lord is when you just believe what he said. And then act accordingly. Can you imagine? It just, it's got to give him that warm, fuzzy feeling that any father gets when their son crawls up on their lap and just says, I, I believe what you said, Daddy. I believe you. And you just as a dad, you're like, oh, man, that's awesome. That's the Lord. He's just so thrilled when you just believe what he says. 
Do you want to make a statement of faith? Do you want to make a statement to God? Walk by faith. Walk by faith. You want to please Him? You want to make decisions for your life? Man, that's what you should do. You want, you want to please God? Make decisions on purpose that put you in a situation where you have to trust Him. And then when you trust Him, He's pleased. Why is that not a good decision? Why is that not a good decision to... That's, why, that's one among, but that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to give my life to world missions because I knew that that would put my life in circumstances that I couldn't figure out on my own. I needed to trust Him. And in so trusting Him, pleased Him. And in pleasing Him, you think He's not going to take care of you? He's going to take care of you? Man, exercise faith. God's pleased. Okay, letter C, the significance of faith. Okay, this is kind of the flip side of the coin, if I can say it. Romans 14, 23, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. And here's the killer line, man, I hate this. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatsoever, that's kind of all-encompassing, is not of faith is sin. This is the passage of Scripture in Romans 14 that deals with all the gray areas in your life. You know, well, the Bible doesn't really say I can't. You know, I love talking to the guys with that excuse. There's a lot of things the Bible doesn't say that you think you can do. <laughs> well, it doesn't say I can, doesn't say I can't. What if I do, you know, should I eat the meat offered to idols? Should I not eat the meat offered to idols? That's the conversation in Romans 14. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's okay, maybe it's not okay. Actually, I'm not sure. And Paul is saying, well, if you're not sure and you go ahead and eat it anyway, well, you're not doing it of faith. He's not actually saying that it is a problem. Actually, it's not a problem. Eat meat. Meat is meat. Who cares? An idol is nothing. It doesn't even matter. But if your conscience bothers you, well, then you better not do it. Because if you do, well, it's not of faith. And if it's not of faith, it's sin. Then it's sin. So we don't have a huge problem around here with meat offered to idols. But people have a bigger problem with whether Christians should drink alcohol. Right? I mean, we could just camp out here for a while and just have a campfire and just have a good old time. But this is the issue. Anything that's not of faith, you got your little gray area, you got your little pet things you want to do, and you're not sure if you can do them. I'm not sure if I can or if I can't. I'm not really sure, but I'm going to do it anyway. You do that, it's sin. You do that, it's sin. That's what he's saying. Anything you do without having exercised faith in God's word to do it is sin. It's walking by sight. Which, by the way, should make sense because sin is also defined in 1 John 3, 4 as the transgression of the law. Right? And what is our faith? Well, faith comes from the Word. The Word is the law of God. If you transgress the law, well, then you're not walking by faith. So, in both cases, the consequence, well, it's sin. That's what it is. Faith comes from the Word. And by the way, faith pleases God. What displeases God? Sin. <laughs> so they all fit. Listen, these are the fundamentals. And you have to practice these things over and over and over again. So here's where we're living every day. You want to avoid sin in your life? I mean, really, do you, do you want to avoid sin? Some people don't, by the way, but, but a lot of people do. 
Or, or do you want to avoid the consequences of sin? Well, to avoid the consequences of sin, don't sin. How about that? Well, how are you going to do that? Well, in your flesh, you don't have enough strength to do it. That's Romans 7, right? But you can walk by faith. That's what you can do. You can believe what God says more than you believe what everybody else says. I think, I think, Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Every man a liar. All right, well, let's wrap it up with our last point. Letter D, samples of faith. Some samples. This is Hebrews 11. This is that great chapter of the Hall of Fame of Faith, and we, we don't have time to go there. We're not going to read through it all. Please do, do yourself a favor. Uh, this afternoon after lunch, I mean, just get your Bible out. Just read through Hebrews chapter 11 and just look at all of the things that these characters from the Old Testament mostly have accomplished as a result of just believing what God said. They walked by faith and not by sight. So just, just listen for a second. Just listen. Because by faith, he built an ark for rain that was coming where rain had never come before in the history of man. Followed God to leave home even without a set destination. Offered up Isaac, his only son, believing that he would get him back again. Uh, refused the comfort of life in Pharaoh's palace and chose rather to suffer with the people of God. By faith, they kept the Passover, that otherwise crazy story, kill a lamb, put blood on the door, and I guess God won't kill me. By faith, they saw Jericho's walls fall down without firing a shot. They subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the enemies, received their dead, raised to life again, overcoming trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, overcoming bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, slain with the sword, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say with that great cloud of witnesses, you too can walk by faith enough to get through whatever it is you're facing. I think you can do it. I think you can believe God's promises. I think you can stand. You can believe them more than you believe what you see. You can believe them more than you believe what other people are saying. And you can go forward. Just be like a little child. Just believe what your daddy has to say. He wouldn't lie to you. Jesus said the faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed to do mighty works. Don't walk by sight. Quit worrying about COVID and masks and government and socialism and elections and liars and politics and recreation and fun and games and toys and amusement and entertainment and social media and sports and work and labor and toil and sweat and arguments and fights and riots, opinions and strife and struggles and sickness and suffering and pain and brokenness. Because those things just don't matter. But learn 
God's word systematically. You say, I don't know what it says. Well, you're in the right place. You're in a church that can teach it. Let us know on that connection card that you need somebody to disciple you. Let us know that you want to learn some things. You have no excuse here for not knowing what God says. There's all kind of opportunities available for you. Get discipled. Show up at 9 a.m. for the training hour. Go through ministry tools and training. Go through our Bible Institute. And when you learn it, believe it. Start living like you believe it. As it is written, literally, more sure than any human experience. Walk by faith. It's the only way you can get from God's promise to His presence with any kind of joy and satisfaction in your life. It's the fundamentals. It's the drills we just got to work over and over and over until they become reflex. I don't care what they say on the news. I don't care what they're spouting and talking about. I don't care what the circumstances look like. I got to live in this life. I'm not without responsibility. But I believe what God says over all of those things. I will make decisions for myself and my family based on what God says over all of those things. That's how I'm going to live my life. And when I do, I please the Lord. Please the Lord. And that's how I want to live it. And I think that's how you want to live it too. Next week, we're going to get into the judgment seat of Christ and what happens with a life that is lived that way. Because the judgment seat of Christ isn't just, oh man, dang. It could be Yahoo Rewards. Amen? Let's pray together.